to your Bibles or grab the Bible of the friend you greeted. And please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Today's passage is in Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. This is on page 923 in the Bibles in each row, which are for the taking if you need one. We'll be starting in verse 19. At the end of the reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and you'll respond, thanks be to God. And here's why. Over 2,100 people groups comprised of 250 million souls have none of the Bible yet translated into their language. And another one and a half billion have only part of the Bible accessible in their mother tongue. But we have the incredible privilege of holding in our hands every one of the 66 inspired books translated accurately into the languages the people in this room speak. So we give thanks. Acts chapter 14, verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe, When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father of our salvation, we thank you for making us a part of the living body of Christ. We confess we reduce the church to just a piece of our lives. Increase our faith so we live like the church is our identity. We marvel that we, your imperfect church, are the primary means through which you're working in this age and that through us you're making known your manifold wisdom to the angels. Make the dominating theme of our lives the new race you are creating with people from every tribe and language and nation. Embolden us to make your Son known, since we know this eternal mission is guaranteed to succeed. In the name of Christ, our cornerstone. Amen. You may be seated. Hello, everybody. Hi. Um, My name is Gavin. Um, I'm not a pastor here. Um, That's right. And uh, and Kyle's not here, so I can do whatever I want. Um, So, uh, no, just kidding. Um, It is awesome to worship with you guys today. Um, It's it's a a joy. Um, If you don't know who I am and you're like hashtag not my pastor, uh, you're right. Um, So. Um, 
my name is Gavin, and uh, I was a pastor here until uh, July, um, and then I moved down uh, to Carson in terms of church stuff. We're actually moving um, pretty soon here, actually physically down to Carson, uh, and I'm the pastor at Livingstone's Carson. Uh, we are uh, at Livingstone's five churches uh, that are each uh, individually run by pastors, uh, but we all share the same vision and the same heart for Jesus and the heart for the city, uh, and all the leads are at different churches today. Um, so uh, Pastor Ryan from South Reno is down in Carson. Pastor Kyle is in South Reno. Pastor Nathan has been care flighted uh, from Elko to Reno. And Pastor George uh, is preaching in Elko, which is really cool because Pastor George was actually the first person to become a Christian uh, at Livingstones. Um, so, um, and yeah, things are going good. Um, like it's a church plant and so it's messy, uh, and sometimes hard and like preaching and encouraging each other goes hand in hand more so than ever with, with cleaning toilets and, uh, snow shoveling, uh, and stuff like that. Um, but it's a joy and we're seeing people get baptized and we're seeing people, um, meet Jesus and, um, encourage one another. And, and honestly, like there's some great leaders and a great church down there. Um, and, and the reason I'm up here t- today is uh, we've been going through this series called The Table. Uh, and the reason that it's called The Table is uh, you gather with the people most important to your life around tables. You have meals with your friends, um, whether that's as a high schooler around tables at In-N-Out or Denny's, um, or if that's the dinner table with your family or just people you're hanging out with. Um, dates are often started. You go out to a meal with each other. Um, tables are where wars are declared and peace treaties are signed. Um, who you are is often identified with who you gather yourself around, around a table. And with the Christian community for Christians, um, we look at the time that Jesus gathered his friends together and he broke bread. And he said, this is my body broken for you. And they poured out wine and said, this is my blood poured out for your sins. And in that moment, he said, you are part of the family of God. Uh, that if you're a member of the family of God, you are gathered around the table with the entire church family around the world, gathered there by Jesus, and you are loved by God. Uh, and just like every family, families have values. Um, like you probably found that, like my family's values are, you know, we don't lie and we're nice to our mom and we're kind of nice to the cat. Um, like he's not a dog, so we're not all the way nice to the dog, like we're kind of nice to the cat. Like they can chase him around and, and put a rubber band around his ears for a few minutes before we're like, okay, that's enough. He's terrified for his life. Um, you should stop. Um, so you guys are like, no, he wouldn't do that. I love my cat. Don't worry. Like he is evil though. Um, so maybe you shouldn't be so sympathetic. Um, so, um, so we have values as a family. Um, and at the church at Livingstones, we see some things in scripture that are near and dear to the heart of God. And at Livingstones, we've made those the guiding values of what we are about at this church. So when we started this series, the first thing we looked at as first, we were all outside of God's family and God brought us in. We're going to be a church that is always inviting people into the family of God. And it doesn't matter how much of an outsider you feel like, we want you to be welcome here. It doesn't matter if you're here and you're checking out Christianity for 20 years and you don't become a Christian, that's okay. Because Jesus made us uh, insiders into the family of God and you are welcome here. 
Um, the second thing we talked about is we are disciples making disciples. So Jesus, disciple is just a funny church word for follower. Um, Jesus went and he called people to follow him and that changed everything about their lives. And then those people went out and told people, you should follow Jesus too, check him out. And so at this church, we believe that we are disciples, that we follow Jesus and it's um, our joy and responsibility to go out and tell other people about Jesus. And then they become disciples and then they make disciples. And we've been doing that as the big church for about 2,000 years. Um, so third, last week we talked about that we are a church that is united in our diversity. We see in the Bible that God wants us to be a house of prayer for all nations. This is God's house. We're members of God's family. So we want this to be a place where you can come and that all races and nations are welcome to worship here. And we're going to make moves and we're going to make steps that not only are you welcome here, but our worship services reflect that this is a house of prayer for all nations. So now we're going to start going a little bit on the outside now. We're saying, okay, that's, that's who we are here, but now what do we do with all of that? And today we're going to be talking about churches planting churches. That at Living Stones, we are a church and we value planting other churches. And we're going to be looking at this snapshot in the book of Acts of one of the first churches. This is not a prescriptive text, which you're going to be grateful for because a guy like gets rocks thrown at him in the very first verse. Um, but it, it describes what the church looks like and it gives us a snapshot for how church planting works and what healthy churches look like. And that's a big deal because when I first became a Christian, it was part of like that movement that was like, hey, we're going to meet in coffee shops and basically just go do remote evangelism because Jesus is coming back any minute. Like I was always thinking that I would never preach on the stage because Jesus was coming back any day. And if I was on stage, the side door would open and Jesus would walk in and I would say, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus of Nazareth. And I was going to drop the microphone and be done. That would be the best sermon I could preach. Um, so the last sermon. <laughs> um, so, um, but yeah, there was never a talk about how the local church is actually part of a Christian's faith. And, and it was much longer before it was talked about that church planting was vital for churches to engage in. And maybe you're in the same place. Like maybe you're new to Christianity or you're a new Christian and, and it just hasn't even entered your mind that this is something to think through. Maybe you're here and you're someone that has been burned by the church before and, and somehow you made your way in here today. Um, thank you for that. Um, if you're looking for things to critique um, in my sermon and in the service, I'm sure there are plenty because we're broken people. But you have real hurts and um, those are real, um, but the local church is still important for your faith. Uh, and then maybe you've been in the church for a long time, and this would just be a really healthy reminder that this is something that you can take for granted until it's gone, like your coffee pot or a garage door opener. You, you take it for granted, and then one day you need it, and it's gone. And you're like, ooh, I need that coffee pot really bad. Um, so we're going to look at God's snapshot on churches. Uh, we're going to look at how it affects our lives, and we're going to look at what the text says so that we may be more informed about how we're to live out our faith. So, so today's sermon is about this. We're a church that is a family of God, um, and we are churches planting churches. Or more succinctly, we are a family of churches planting churches. Uh, and if you're taking notes, here are the three points. The first point is churches. The second point is planting and the third point is churches. So, uh, or refer to the amazing art uh, by the art team, and and it'll be a quick recap. So it's amazing. So, um, so the first thing we're going to talk about is the church. The church is the family of God. 
So, in Acts chapter 14, verse 19, uh, Jews come from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So, uh, this is a great story in the book of Acts. Uh, it's one of my favorite, and it's one of the funniest, because it starts with Paul and Barnabas about to be worshipped as Greek gods, and, and it ends with a mob uh, stoning them, like pulling up tiles and tomatoes and rocks, and one guy's like, I want something to throw, and he's like, here, how's this vase? And it's like, great, let's do that. And they all throw everything they can at Paul and, until they think he's dead. And, and whether he died or not, the text isn't very clear, but he is at least hurt enough that they think he's dead when they drag him out. Um, but then he gets back up, which is in itself a miracle that he's able to do that. Um, and then he goes back into the city, which is maybe not the best move. Um, but then he leaves the city, which is probably okay. Uh, and then he preaches the gospel to another city and then comes back to encourage the church. Now, I want to point a couple of things out to you um, because this text today is not really about Paul. Um, although Paul is one of the main figures of the book of Acts. Uh, you see, Paul is, this, is kind of this action hero and this controversial guy. He was a murderer that was persecuting the church. And then Jesus radically saved him and he went out and, and built the church on behalf of Jesus. And so a lot of times the story of Acts focuses in on that. But sometimes you need to pull the camera back a little bit and look at what else is going on. And in this moment that he is laying on the ground, either half dead or dead, the camera pulls back and it says, and the disciples were around him. And we see that this wasn't just a street preacher on a street corner, um, like preaching the gospel and then packing up his bullhorn and then going home. Paul had already been doing this for a while. And he wasn't just interested in doing street preaching. He was interested in building a church. And, and there is a church there, uh, and they are gathered around him. And it doesn't say they're praying. I, I, like, I imagine they're just like us. They're just kind of staying around being like, well, that happened. Um, don't know what we're going to do now. Uh, and he gets up, and they're like, whoa, I can't believe this. Um, but it shows us that there is the presence of the church wherever Paul goes. That Paul just doesn't go someplace and then leave it. He establishes churches. And then later, so he says the disciples were around him. And then later on, it says he encouraged the disciples. But then he appoints elders, and he says, and he left them at every church. So not only is it the, the church corporately, he doesn't just let people meet Jesus and then say, cool. And they're like, what do we do now? And he's like, I don't know, just follow your heart, figure it out. You know, do whatever seems good to you. He intentionally sets up communities all over um, this region, and these become the churches in Galatia that the biblical book of Galatians is later written to. And so church planting for Paul is intentional, and these are local churches. So we've got to talk about this first. Um, I can't convince you that church planting is important if you don't know how important the church is. Um, because if you don't know how important and how good the church is, then it's not going to make any sense for you to care about church planting. Uh, and so first, we need to talk about the church. And Here's what the church is. First and foremost, the church is not this building. The church is the people of God. 
Um, everyone that occupies a space that is loved by Jesus and filled with the Holy Spirit, they are the church. If we teleported everybody in this room and dropped them in Disneyland, that would still be the church. If we teleported all the people in this room and put them um, where Helm's Pit is, that's now the Sparks Marina, before it was the marina, and you were like, why did you teleport us here when you could teleport us to Disneyland? I would reply, to make the point that you're still the church. Um, You are still the church. It's not the physical location you meet. By God's grace in this country, we can build amazing buildings that highlight the gospel and comfortable places that people can come and hear the gospel, but you are the church. The church is the people of God. And past that, um, the church is given descriptions in scripture. The descriptions given to scripture are all corporate and communal in all of their descriptions. None of them are individual descriptions of what the church is. They're all part of a community of believers. So the church is called the body of Christ, um, that Jesus, our Lord, calls his people his body. Uh, He calls us the temple of the Lord. He says that all of us are like bricks and plumbing and electricity. They're all being put together to be a place that God would live. Uh, He calls the church his bride. And then he says that every individual in the church is a member of that bride. Then he says of the family of God that we are the family of God. When we're baptized, we're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Another way of saying that is we take on the family name. We're adopted by the Father, and we have a brand new family. It is an extension of the kingdom of heaven, an imperfect one, obviously. Churches have problems. But it is a chance for us to show the world this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Here's a taste of what heaven looks like. Uh, Scripture calls Satan, the enemy of God, a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. In this instance, the church is described as the pack where you are protected and kept safe. We are called a kingdom of priests that our responsibility is to together go into the world and tell people about who Jesus is. We are a city within a city that exemplifies the kind of city that God is creating on earth. And so all of these things are are things that we are in the church. And it's not just this kind of intangible thing. Like it's something that is lived out in the local church, which is something we see in the book of Acts, but we see that all over scripture. That in the local church, all of these things are played out and all of these things are to be enjoyed. In the church, the different members serve different functions. In the church, we are all building a spiritual house for our Lord. In the local church, we are all worshiping God and our hearts are, are deepening in our love for our Savior. And, and with that said, like I want to clarify, when you become a Christian, you do not lose your individuality. You do not lose the special love that God has for you. Because scripture says that he has predestined you since the foundation of the world. And when he did that, he knew your name. And he died for your sins. And he didn't just die for your past sins from before you were a Christian. Whenever you sin as a Christian, like you break uh, God's laws, you hurt relationships, you, you don't have to wait to go to God because he already died for that sin too. And he's going to know you by name in heaven. With that said, you cannot be a vital and healthy Christian without being involved in the local church. Absolutely cannot. Um, And I don't say that in a blasé way. I say it because look at all these examples. They're all community examples. You can't take away, you can't keep the unity of being the church 
and take away the community of being part of the local church. Because when you do that, you are hurting yourself and you're hurting the church. So you look at the scriptures and you say, um, well, I know scripture talks about being the body of Christ, um, but it's really fun just being an eyeball on a plate. Like, that is my destiny as a Christian. This is way easier. You're a little, a few of you are like, shock. But it's what you're saying, in essence. Like, you could say, yeah, like, it's cool that God is building a house, but do you know what's more fun? Being a brick. Have you ever just been a simple brick? It's a lot less energy in being a brick. It's cool that Jesus loves the bride, but wouldn't he be better if he was single? He could just hang out with me. It, it stinks when my friends, like, start dating and get married. Like, I can't hang out with them anymore. He should just hang out with me. He'd be better off single. The church is crazy anyway. Um, the family of God. Like, you can't say, boy, I, I love that guy, but his family is horrible. Because it's going to make it really hard to spend time with him because God really loves his family. And he's always spending time with his family. So, if you are here and, and you are kind of the person that's like, look, I, I don't involve myself or participate in the local church. And, and sometimes on your best days, you feel a little bit like Batman, um, but without the cape. Like, I, I got to tell you, it's not healthy. Um, and I used to run with that crew. And most of them aren't Christians anymore. They're not Christians because they never had any joy in the Christian community. They're not Christians because they had no reason for evangelism because they were just a brick instead of part of the body. Their perspective on God was limited to their own minds and hearts as opposed to being encouraged by the body of believers that are all approaching scripture with the same spirit but coming up with, with different things to encourage each other. You need to be part of the local church. And if you are here and you're not a Christian yet and you're investigating this, again, stay and investigate as long as you want. If you become a Christian, the church needs to be part of your life. Participation in the local body needs to be part of your life, just like it was here. And it's dangerous. This guy just got stoned because he's preaching the gospel. That is not an easy place to be part of the church. And yet, here's Paul laying half dead or dead on the ground, and the church is gathered around him. And here they are when he comes back and they're still there. And so it's important for you to be part of the church. And the third thing then would be if, if you're part of this church and, and you're part of this community, let me ask how you're doing. Um, have you engaged yourself into the life of this church? Um, do you participate? Um, are you in a community group? Uh, are you a part of the church or is the church something that's part of your schedule? Um, because that's not who you are. You're an individual member of the church. It doesn't even matter if you're a leader. Like, I think that sometimes churches can believe this lie. It's like, well, if I'm not a leader, I'm not important to the church. When you arrive, your very presence is important because you're part of our family. And it doesn't matter if the youngest member of the family contributes to the family or not. If they're not there for that meal, the family is missing something. They're missing a part of themselves. And so you need to participate. You need to be part of the local church, part of a community group. I get that work and sickness and stuff like that can play in, but invest into the family of God because it's part of who you are. So we're a church, but part of being a church also means that we plant churches. So take a look at everything in the text, and we see that Paul goes to the city. He makes disciples. He then leaves for a little bit, but then he comes back, and he's not just a flyby preacher that gives like a crusade, and then he wipes his hands and does nothing else. He plants churches. Um, the reality is 
is that church planting is a vital part of spreading the gospel in our cities. Um, in verse 22, it says that, um, well, sorry, let's back up. We learn a few things about church planting in this passage. We learn that church planting is hard. To plant a church in Lystra, Paul had to get half dead or dead. Um, like that, that was the cost for him. Uh, and, and the reality is like planting other churches is costly. Um, it is costly uh, financially and it is costly emotionally most primarily. So an example of this is Reno Church just planted the South Reno Living Stones. In order to do that, they lost 200 of their people. Like that was a relational cost to their church to show up the next week and, and there's 200 people gone. Like that's a big deal. Um, but it was also a financial loss because you all live here. Like, you know, South Reno is where a lot of the people with the money are at. Uh, and so the Reno church took a hit financially in order to plant the church. Um, but it was worth it because people get to hear about Jesus who have never heard about Jesus. Because in South Reno today, there's something like a hundred people that were never part of Living Stones and never part of a church or had not been in the church for a while that are worshiping this morning. And they would not be there if the Reno church had not made that sacrifice. So uh, this church, like... Um, it was hard for me and Kelly to leave. Um, we didn't do it because it sounded like a fun adventure. We did it because we care about people hearing about Jesus. And we knew that there was a church that was hurting and needed a pastor. And so we made that decision. And so for, for us, all of us, this has been relationally hard. But you know what? Carson City baptized five people last year, and they're baptizing another two so far that would not be baptized at this church. Like, it costs something but that cost leads to people knowing Jesus and being saved for eternity and having their lives transformed forever. So even though there's a cost, it's worth it. So there's something you need to know about church planting that's vital and is why I think that all of us should be advocates for church planting. And if you see me stumbling just a little bit, it's because I lost my, my page order, um, which is, as an example, a great reason why you should number your pages if you're, if you're ever going to public speak. So, um, so um, doesn't mean I'm going to change, though. Um, it's, just, it's just a weakness. Um, so we should, we should all care about church planting, because whether you've thought about it like this or not, church planting is the most effective way for people in a city to, to find Jesus, to meet Jesus. And I'm going to explain why. Um, let's just start population. Sparks has about a hundred thousand people. Uh, and like, maybe you drive around and you're like, there's plenty of churches in this city. Why would we need to plant more churches? Um, because at Livingstones, we believe let's plant as many churches in a city as we can. If you took all of the churches in Sparks and, and you all of a sudden took their population up to a thousand people, you would still need churches for 60,000 people if the whole city came to Christ. Uh, and that's if you took this congregation, there's 450 people that meet across two services, and you would have to bump that up by 600 people. Like, do that to all the churches. You would still need churches for 60,000 people. Like, we need to plant churches. The second thing is this. When there is an established, mature church that's been around for a few decades, um, God loves that church, and they're doing a lot in their city. They are feeding and nurturing a whole group of followers and friends of Jesus. Um, they're proclaiming the gospel. By then, they probably have a really good reputation in the community. But what begins to happen in most of those churches is that 
if they grow and they don't decline, their growth is 80 to 90% people from other churches, which means they already know who Jesus is. Now, let's say a new church gets planted, and new churches are rough. Like, when we planted this church, it was in a middle school, and we would cart these 300-pound carts across 2,000 feet of DG and broken OSB board at 5 o'clock in the morning when it was snowing. Um, and just to make it sound even more valiant, and it was snowing all the time because we originally planted in the North Pole. Uh, it, was, it was rough. Bears would attack us. So, um, so we, would, we would have services for four hours, and our setup and teardown took eight. Like, so volunteers were there for 12 hours a day. For a while, we met in the gym, and they didn't want their floor scuffed up. So we would stretch these tarps out like they were four like 20 by 60 foot billboard tarps on the floor so we didn't scuff up their floor. And we're geniuses, so we moved to the cafeteria and we never stopped taking the tarps down, forgetting that the reason they were there was because of the gym. So for an extra two years, we did an extra hour's work with these like 100 pound tarps that we never had to do. And like we did video sermons back then and it was rough. Like we couldn't preach super good like, we're still working on it, but, like, we couldn't preach super well then, and so we would do videos, so we would have a tarp over the sunroof and trash bags over all the windows, and one time, the sunroof started flapping in that Nevada wind, and we sent one of our deacons up and said, hold the sunroof down, and so for the sake of the gospel, there's just this poor guy that's sitting on a tarp on the roof, like, so that people can watch the video. New churches are rough, <laughs> so, and, and here's the thing, because they're rough, people um, who are part of established mature churches do not check out new churches um, because we can't offer the services that uh, those churches can. We don't have the money that those churches do. The leaders are still growing. Uh, and so to grow, those churches will do evangelism because the only people crazy enough to go check out new churches are people who aren't Christians yet. So, and so those churches grow 80 to 90% with new Christians. So, and then... Some of those Christians get tired of that church and they go to other churches, but guess what? They take that new lifeblood to those new churches. Um, and then those other churches are encouraged because they get to find out that those new church plants, they're not competition, they're on the same team. Because every church in the city that's proclaiming that Jesus is Lord and that he saves us, we are on the same team. And, and we care less about what church you go to than you you know who Jesus is, and you are in a church. Um, and so new churches revitalize an area and bring evangelism into an area. And when you see a city that's seeing a growing population of Christians, oftentimes the reason is because there's a, there are enough church plants to increase the churches in that city by 10 to 25%. Now, we cannot do that alone. It's why we're on the same team as the other churches. It's why we pray for church plants. It's why we are excited for gospel-centered churches because we want people in the city to know who Jesus is. And so as a value to that, there are practical ramifications for you here as well. The first is be very careful that you are never resistant to church planting because it is God's vehicle on this earth to save people, to bring them into our family. We can all support that. 
Second, if you give at this church, 10% immediately goes to other church plants. We support church plants in Turkey and Iran and in the Middle East and Italy and the UK. And we also support several church plants all over the West Coast and, and as well church plants locally through Living Stones. And so remember that when you give, like some of it goes to, to uh, your pastors and staff being able to be paid, which is a constant blessing, like that they get to um, make their living off of the gospel. I've never been a prayer meeting on staff where there wasn't an awe that they could focus all their energy on loving the local church. I've never seen that. But that money also goes to plant churches. Additionally, sometimes you're going to be sent out. Not just as a pastor, but you're going to be sent out to go help a church, or maybe that's just a burden for you. Uh, some examples, uh, Tim and Christina Abina here, um, they moved to Fernley, and they want to see a church start. So they're gathering people, and they're discipling. They're doing what Paul did. Um, pastor Shea here, he's meeting with some people, and if you're here and you're like, you know what, um, 89434, 89431, like, we need more churches here. Um, and, and I've seen what's happening in, in that part of Sparks Past the Hills. Like, there are churches that are moving out. Like, we need churches there. Maybe you're part of that team. Maybe you're called to join that team and, and to enter intentional relationships so that people would meet Jesus. Um, because, side note, you can't do evangelism if you do all of your shopping on Amazon. Like, you got to get out of the house. Like, you know, you got to get to know your baristas. You got to get to know the people in your community. You've got to do life where you're at. And it's why we're moving, my, myself and my wife. Like, um, I think, like, some things went wrong, but we got to list our house by Monday. Um, so she's, like, frantically getting things ready because we got to take pictures and, like, dirty houses don't sell. Um, and, and, like, uh, and, like, it's a cost, but it's worth it. And we want to be in that community for evangelism's sake. And then finally, locally, let's say that there's not church plants on the table, uh, community groups, which if you're a community group leader and you remember me as a community group pastor, you're like, uh-oh. Um, here's the thing. It is bad to be forced into planting your group because there hasn't been a plan for it. So if your group grows to a certain size and you haven't talked about planting, about growing your groups, um, that is going to go very badly. Um, people are going to get upset. They're going to leave the church. They're going to leave your group and all groups together. Um, and and you're, it's less likely that both of those groups will survive. But the reason that we plant groups is because we want more people to know Jesus and more people to have gospel-centered relationships. And so the moment that you start a group or restart a group and you have six people in a room, you've got to communicate our desire is to plant one day. And you got to keep that going. It's got to be a normal part of your church or your group's life. Because if it's not a normal part of it, it'll hurt too much every single time you do it, and you won't do it anymore. And, and let me tell you, cities and bodies of churches that they're in cities where Christianity is in decline are often those same cities that those churches say, we don't need to plant churches. We're good the way we are. Um, and I, I think gently that like they have hurt the cause of Christianity in their city. Um, we don't want to be that church ever. And there's a lot of churches with us that are not that church, that even if they're an older congregation, they support church plants and they support the lifeblood of the church. And so we want to be a church that plants, but we don't just want to plant unhealthy churches. Um, it's not just a notch on the belt that's like, hey, look at that. Like I planted six churches and you're like, yeah, but all of them are dead. Um, like <laughs> not so cool now. Um, 
like we want healthy churches. We want this to be a healthy church and we want to see churches planted that are healthy churches. And so this text gives a few things that point us to the health of that church. So uh, if we look at the text, it starts in verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so in brief, first we see that churches thrive in a gospel-centered environment. Um, in other words, Paul's going out and he's saying, Jesus saves, Jesus saves the Gentiles. He's the light of the world. He's here to save you, to rescue you, to adopt you into the family of God. Um, and in that environment, churches can thrive, uh, but they cannot thrive with that alone. And so the second thing that must happen is that the body of believers must get together and strengthen each other. And so they get together and strengthen each other and they encourage them to continue in the faith and say, this is part of the Christian experience of suffering that we might enter into the kingdom of God. And so the body needs to meet together and encourage each other. That happens here in community groups. That happens here on Sundays. Like I see it all the time and I would encourage you to enter that in. That if you're a Christian and you see somebody that is having a rough time and they're alone, like there's nothing saying that you can't be the one to go up to them and, and pray for them right then. Um, because a healthy church encourages each other. Uh, the third thing that we see is that elders are appointed. So healthy churches have pastors. I know that every once in a while, some hip thing comes along that says, the church doesn't need pastors, um, and um, they're wrong. Um, like, they do. Um, pastors are not better than, than anyone else, but they are appointed for the health of the flock. Uh, and so at the Sparks Church, you do have four pastors with others in training. Um, they're going to be on the screen behind me. Um, and, and I would encourage you um, to go to them for prayer and counseling, whatever else you might need. To my, to my brothers who are here, my friends, um, you've been given a weighty task because Jesus says the church is the bride of Christ and then said, I'm trusting my bride to you. Um, get her down the aisle. Um, present her mature. Um, I bought her with my blood. Um, my spirit appointed you as overseers. Um, it's hard, like I know, but you're doing a great job. Like, just keep going until you die or move. So, like, just keep going. So, um, so um, pastors have to do a lot. We have to answer before God one day. I'm really not looking forward to that, like, personally as a pastor. Sometimes I read the Bible and I'm like, man, I don't want to answer for all the stuff I've done as a pastor. <laughs> like all the mistakes I've made, all the hurts I've made, like all the things that are completely off the table for me, but like I'll need to answer for all of them. But I'll tell you what, I, I rejoice every time I see someone in the church get saved. When I see marriages prosper, when I see people healed of addictions and brokenness, um, when I see God move in a spectacular way, um, and two, I love it when God does things completely out of my control, because that's when he reminds me, this isn't my house, this is God's house. Um, and so but I would say this at Sparks Church, uh, you have good pastors. Um, a lot of churches don't. Um, and if you have good pastors who are obeying scripture, I would encourage you to be the type of members that obey scriptures about what to do with your pastors, to honor them, to care for them, to submit to them, um, and to make their ministry a joy. Um, I know that's hard, um, but I know every pastor in this church would give up their lives for the health of this church um, and would and care that Jesus bought it. Uh, and so I'm not calling you to submit to your elders. I'm calling you to submit to one another because that's what First Peter tells us to do. 
Uh, and then finally, it says um, that they committed to the Lord everything in prayer and fasting. Healthy churches pray and fast. Fasting is part of prayer um, where you enter into a time of prayer that you actually abstain from eating or something else for a while because you're saying, I'm making a statement to myself that I need God more than I need this food in this season. Um, you've got to be careful with that, but it's a good discipline to partake in uh, with prayer. But healthy churches have prayer, and the reason that they have prayer is because this is God's house, and God's the one that makes it grow. Um, it's possible to grow a church based off your personality. Absolutely. I'm not the kind of guy that could do that, could do that, but it's possible that you could do that. But those churches are sometimes are a flash if they don't repent that they're here today and they're gone tomorrow because it, it wasn't about what God was doing in the church. It was about uh, specific strong personalities. Um, but it's God that builds the church. And, and here it uses the same language for committing the church to the Lord in whom they had believed as saying the same trust that I have that God has saved me is the same trust that I have that he's the one in charge of the church. And we're confirmed in that when we see the book of Revelation, um, that John has this just knock you off your feet vision of Jesus um, who is beautiful and powerful and um, seated on high. And, and he's holding these stars in his hand. Um, and when he asks about it, Jesus says they represent the angels over the churches, um, which tells us a lot of things. But one of them it says is that Jesus literally holds the care of each church in his own hand. Um, and so Sparks Church, the health of this church, like we need to do the gospel. We need to go out and tell people about Jesus. Um, we, we need to invite our friends to hear about him. We need to encourage each other. We need our elders to, to stay committed and to keep raising up new elders. We need to plant churches. We need to pray. But all of these needs are in light of the fact that Jesus is the one that holds the care of this church in the palm of his hands. And so with that, we're going to worship him because we know that our care and the care of all of our churches belongs to him. Amen? Let's pray. God, you're worthy. Help us to worship you now as we come to the table. Um, by coming to the table, Lord Jesus, we're recognizing not only that you are king, but we are recognizing that we are part of a family that wants to see your name proclaimed in all of the earth until you come back. Um, and then on that beautiful day, everyone will see you and you will right all wrongs and you will heal all sadnesses and you will destroy sin once and for all. So we wait for that day, but until that day comes, help us to have a heart for the lost. Help us to have a heart for people knowing about who Jesus is and help us to plant more churches. In Jesus' name, amen.